0: Hey, good morning, well family. Uh, welcome to episode 9,214 of the guided <laughs> gatherings. Uh, we will be back together one day, okay? It may not be until the kingdom, but it's gonna be one day, all right. So, hey, I'm glad that y'all are here. Uh, I am praying that God does a good work on our hearts uh, today as we walk through this, and we're gonna be walking through actually a really difficult topic today, and it's really difficult on multiple fronts, and that is the topic of abortion, as you heard Stephanie talk about on the intro. It's difficult because of how politically charged this topic actually is, and there's also a lot of shame that is carried in this realm for many, many many people have had abortions or have called other people to get abortions. In fact, one in three women by the age of 45 in America will have had an abortion. And so I'm not ignorant to the fact that this is heavy, that uh, this is a weighty topic. And so I want to start off by saying two things right off the gate, okay? Uh, Firstly, stick with us until the end. Stay with us in the midst of this. There may be some things that you disagree with up front, that uh, statements that are made early on, and hopefully by the end, even if you don't agree, you'll at least hear what we think the scriptures have to say to this topic, and you will hear the compassion by which Christians are supposed to walk in the midst of this, and you'll see how the church is supposed to move through this. And so stick with us, even though there will be difficult things that are discussed. The other thing is that I want you to know I am by no means making a political statement in this message. We'll talk about politics at the end of this series, and that's when you can leave our church, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, okay? No matter where you stand, I think you'll find comfort as we look at it through the lens of Christ, all right? But a lot of the reasons why this justice and mercy issue has slowed down, I believe, is because of the politicized nature of it. And so I want to say right up front that those two things, the abortion and politics, they are not tied together. Okay. You can be a Democrat and be pro-life despite what people tell you and despite what even that platform might stand for. You can have a biblical perspective around issues like this that are not tied to your politics. You following that? Okay, yeah? Yeah. Just like you could be a Republican and and care about uh, refugees or immigrants or or racial reconciliation and have compassion. Like The media has married things together that aren't necessarily wed together. And so I just want to clear that right up front that we can tackle this issue completely separated from agendas and politics and just look at the scriptures. Last week I got accused of being a Democrat. This week I'm going to get accused of being a Republican, alright? And I know it. Christians, we are too Christ-centered for the left and we are too kingdom-focused for the right. We are too vertical for the liberal. We are too horizontal for the conservative. We are politically homeless. And so we're not disciples of Fox News. We're not disciples of CNN. We're not disciples of some middle-ground uh, source whatever you think that middle ground is, be disciples of the scriptures. Yeah. Be disciples of our King Jesus. Amen. And as we do that, we will find that we are not of this world yet are called to be in this world and bring the kingdom on earth as it will be in heaven. Yeah. And so more to be continued with politics week seven, all right? <laughs> but it is not a political issue. This is an Imago Day issue. It is the image of God is what that phrase means. It's the image that we are destroying when we look at this idea of abortion, abortion, and we have to understand how to walk into that. And so in Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse 27, it says this, it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, We hit this passage last week because this issue deals with humanity and human dignity as well. God created us. When life is formed, it is God that is the one that is doing it. We are created in the image of God. And so this is an image of God issue, therefore, because God is the one who creates us. And unless we think that it's just Adam and Eve that God is creating, I actually wanna dive into the scriptures here to look at what God is doing in creation. And so if you go over to Psalm 1, 139, I would love to chop up a passage there, thinking about this idea of abortion, and I'm going to have my good friend Sarah read that for us. So go ahead, Sarah. Hey, Well Family. My name is Sarah Kreider. I am a covenant member here at The Well, and my husband and I helped to lead the Windsor Park CG, as well as the youth ministry here at The Well. Today I'll be reading from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Obviously, this is way after Adam and Eve, and yet we see God is still the one that is creating David here. God is the one that is forming. God is the one that is making David. God forms and intricately and intimately is creating every single human individual, and we see that there in that psalm. I mean, think about the intimacy which is carried out through those words that were just spoken. Like, we have a lot of pregnant people at the well right now, okay? Y'all be taking that be fruitful and multiply tip real seriously, okay? This is to do with four girls, all right? But uh, think about this, right? Like, like, if you are pregnant right now, you have no idea what color your baby's hair is, what color your baby's eyes are. Depending on the stage, you don't even know if it's a boy or a girl yet but God does. God is in there making that child. Like, think about the intimacy that is going on there. Not only does he know what they will look like, but look at the text there. You see it on the screen. He's even beginning the orchestration of their days. He lays out what their path would look like. Acts 17, 26 says that he's forming these boundaries and these dwellings that they might find their way towards God. God longs for intimacy. Friends, we see it from the womb that God is forming us. He is there with us. God longs to have intimate connection with the people that he created. Mm -hmm. God is the one that is doing this creation. Mm -hmm. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, it says this. God is speaking to Jeremiah and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so here, once again, God, Forms Jeremiah. He calls him into ministry before he was even born. Now, in this section, Jeremiah is actually doubting his calling, but God says, Look, I knew you and I know you. I am here with you. And so God is creating life in the womb. Without God, the creation of a human being would be impossible, for he is the only one that is able to give somebody a soul. God gives a soul. We don't do that. God is the one that is doing that. And so we care about this issue because it is destroying the Amago day, a soul, and really playing God in the process. And so as Christians, we are called to be a people of justice, and we are called to go and to help those who are oppressed or who can't help themselves or who do not have a voice. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And I want to zoom in on one of the passages that we hit in the first week, actually, in Proverbs chapter 31. And I'm going to have my friend Brittany read that, and I want us to see and to remember and to realize that this command and this charge to be a people that uses our voice for those who are oppressed is flooded throughout the scriptures and that's true in this topic too and so Brittany, go ahead and read that for us hi my name is Brittany, and i'm a covenant community member here at the well i also serve on the children's ministry team today i'll be reading proverbs 31 8 and 9 open your mouth for the mute for the rights of all who are destitute open your mouth judge righteously defend the rights of the poor and needy this is the word of the lord And so here we go. God gives Christians power or blessing or influence or money or position or status or privilege not to be greedy with and to consume, but he gives us those things to literally lay it down so that others would be lifted up in him. We see this ultimate expression in our King Jesus who gave up everything that we who had nothing might now have everything in him. And literally he calls us to do the same, to fight for those who can't, Cannot fight for themselves, and no human being can fight for themselves less than humans that are in the womb. There is no one that is as vulnerable as those that are in the womb. There is no one with less of a voice than the human beings, the souls that are in the wombs of their mother. Christianity tells us that the powerful should give up some of their power, that those who are powerless might be built up in him. There is nobody that is more powerless than those in the womb, and that the comfortable should give up some of their comfort, that those who have no comfort might be comforted. There is no one who is more hopeless than a baby that is completely dependent on their mother taking care of them. And so what a great privilege that is, and what a great burden even that we have to protect them. But the sad reality is that many of them do not get protected In fact, friends, and stick with me, here. I know this is hard to walk into, but think about the weight of this. Uh, Out of all of the casualties of war combined throughout all of America's history, there are more babies that are aborted each year than soldiers whose lives have been cut short in all the wars combined. There are 3,300 babies that are killed every day at the hands of doctors who make a salaried living from this. Stick with me, y'all. This is important to walk through. Now, what tends to happen when we think about this debate is that we come at it from two sides. We either come at it from a scientific side or, without realizing it, we actually come about it through a faith side. And so we either scientifically say, well, this is tissue or just an embryo, and it's not really life. And, And Christians will say, no, 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 God is the one who is creating life. Life starts at conception because the author of life begins creating life in them at that moment. Or people will respond with faith claims, like, I think I should be able to do what I want with my body, or I believe that the mother should get to decide. And so faith, think, belief, those things come into play, not realizing we're making faith arguments in those statements. And so I want to tackle each side and part, the scientific side and the faith side. And so we're going to do those in two parts. And once again, please stick with me through this. To the scientific side, this argument has all but ended. When Roe v. Wade first came into play, science was lagging aggressively behind where it is today. However, what we see is that science has actually caught up with scripture on this matter, which by the way, Christians, you never have to be afraid of science. It is our friend, okay? In fact, the God of the universe is the ultimate chemist that created the atoms of the atom that created the first atom. God is the ultimate astronomer that created all The stars in the sky, right? Science is the one that is always catching up with Scripture. And so as time has gone on, this has become more clear. In fact, if you listen to the arguments of those in the pro-choice camp, over time, they've gotten less scientific and more faith-based, which we'll get to in a second. But science has exposed that uh, the exterminating of a pregnancy is the killing of a human individual life. And so we've seen less and less arguments from science. For example, you'll see all this on the screen, but science tells us that day one, fertilization happens, and all the human chromosomes are present, which constitutes life. In other words, something external, not a part of the mother, is now living inside of her. By day 22, long before you realize you're even pregnant, the baby has their own blood, which is completely different than the mother's blood. By week five, their eyes, legs, and hands have been developed. By week six, once most women finally realize that they're pregnant, there's actually brain activity in the child. And so there's significantly more life in that womb than the life that we find on Mars or something right now life on Mars, and there's life in the womb there. By week eight, every organ is in place and their bones are forming. By week 11, they can actually grab an object because they have senses that are present, their reflexes are working. Many doctors argue by week eight, they actually feel pain, but all doctors agree that by week 12, they recoil when something pricks them because they feel pain. And so everything that we know about life and everything that constitutes it, we're not talking Talking about spirit and soul here, by the way, just flesh, yeah. just life, and everything that we know about life—not even bringing our own faith and the soul in the process—says that life is happening inside of the womb of the mother, mostly before the woman even realizes that she's pregnant. And so, science tells us that abortion, to put it in true and not in politicized statements, is the taking of another life. And listen to me, friends: it is a child. It is a child, it is not an embryo, it is not flesh or tissue. When we try to create language that doesn't express what is actually happening, what we're doing is trying to dehumanize them. And that's why they call blacks property back in the day because they were trying to uh, delegitimize what they knew to be wrong in their own consciousness. They knew that this was not the right thing. So rather than calling them humans, we had to switch the term so that we could see our conscious, so that we could do what we want to do. This is a child yeah. in the womb, yeah, yeah. which by the way, okay, small but really important side note here. If you are a person of color, particularly if you are black or Latino, then this issue needs to inflame your frustration above of almost any other issue that we have going on around us. Abortion is and has been the genocide of our people. Yeah. And you have to realize that black men and women, Hispanic men and women, we need to be woke around this issue. Go look into the history of abortion. Go look at how it started and all of the racism that is attached to the actual practice that we have here. Look at who it was targeted after. To date, right now, 58% of abortions performed are on black and Latino babies, even though black and Latinos only make up 26% of the U.S. population. 58%. 80% 80% of the Planned Parenthoods, which is the number one abortion provider in the States, 80% of them are in predominantly black and Latino neighborhoods. Stay woke, y'all. Yeah. Like, I mean, how else is it that you get ex-slaves to agree with you? You tell them to kill themselves, right? But tell them you're giving them the freedom to. Think about that. We need to be understanding with this, okay? Okay. Stick with me through this. This is important because it might feel heavy right now, but that's exactly why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stick with me. Now what happens, because science has caught up on this, is that most of the argument has switched from a scientific argument to a faith argument. Like, I believe I have the right to do what I want with my body, comes the argument here, and therefore I should have the ability to have an abortion. The main problem with that is that that baby is not a part of your body. That baby has its own body. It is not property that you can treat It how you wish. And so, once again, science and scripture would both argue that this is life. But we tend to argue differently. And the argument comes from faith. And I think that there is a flaw, a fatal flaw in the faith argument when it is not tied to our Christian faith, but rather a worldly faith that thinks about our comfort over somebody else's. And so here's where it hit me the, the hardest. Uh, there was uh, several years ago, uh, man, my wife and I, actually our daughter, our second daughter, her name is Kyria, and her birthday was actually yesterday. And that word uh, Kyria is a Greek word which means chosen lady or elect lady. And we named her that because we feel like God chose her for our family because right before Kyria, my wife and I actually had a miscarriage. And so uh, we had a miscarriage and obviously we were mourning over that. And two days after the miscarriage, I was meeting with a mentor of mine in a coffee shop. And I went to the coffee shop and uh, was talking uh, with him, and in comes this girl that my wife and I had actually been ministering to for a while. And so we were talking about stuff, and and I don't know how this got brought up, but she brought up that she had had an abortion a couple of weeks prior, and it was actually her third abortion. And we knew that, we walked with her through another two. So she brought it up and asked how me and Natalie were doing, and I just let her know, like, man, this is really unfortunate, but we just had a miscarriage, and it's really sad, and, and she just started, like, weeping, and she started, like, weeping for me, and I remember feeling a certain way about it, but I was like, man, I don't know what I'm feeling right now, and and she's weeping, but I I have this new news that she just had an abortion, and and here's what I realized in that moment, and every time I think about this argument, it's been the painful, painful reality to me ever since. The difference between our baby that was lost and her baby that was aborted was that of want, We wanted our baby. She did not want her baby. And so the fact that we wanted her created mourning, but the fact that she didn't want her created an okay nature around all of this. And so really, the worldly faith-based definition of humanity becomes the object of another human's want. And oh my gosh, do you know the pain and the drama and the can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see the flawed perspective that that carries out to? Like when a person aborts an autistic kid, it's okay because they don't want him. And follow that faith logic to its end, friends. Think about that. In fact, in our laws, if I were to hit a pregnant woman and that baby dies in the womb, it's actually considered by law murder. But if another person aborts their child because the woman doesn't want her baby, then it is okay to do that. And think about the flawed nature of that argument. My murder is because of the wants of the mother, but the abortion is because of the unwants of the mother, meaning the only value of that human's life is based on another human's wants. That is wrong, that's how we got enslaved, that's how half of these issues come out right now that are Amago issues, and we gotta realize that. In fact, even the Bible speaks to this very thing. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, listen to this. It says, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall oppose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for a life. And so once again, the Bible calls that baby in the womb life, life for a life. And so what's the difference? When one mother wants the baby, the other one doesn't, and this somehow creates life. Can you see the danger in that faith and that sort of belief system that says want is what creates humanity? I believe that the faith-based argument around abortion is sheer cruelty, y'all. It is cruelty. And the Christian faith is clear that the responsibility of humans supersedes our wants. That our responsibility towards humanity is more important than our wants or our comforts or our desires desires. And so even if that child is unexpected, we are called to lay down our lives for the sake of that child's development and their eventual flourishing. Whether or not somebody wants someone does not determine that person's value. And so every excuse of faith and belief that I hear from pro-choice thinking always roots itself back into that. If you really listen to what's being said, their comforts or their freedoms or their wants, Or then we begin to kind of twist it a little bit and we say things like, well, think about that poor child and and think about what they're coming into and how difficult the life will be for that child as if comfort creates life. That's an American lie. Mm -hmm. Just because someone might lack comfort does not mean that they lack life. Don't get it twisted. Right? In fact, I, I, I knew a woman, know a woman uh, who got pregnant and was encouraged multiple times to get an abortion. It made sense, she was 16 and ended up being 17, uh, or would have been 17 when that child was born, so she was still in high school. In fact, she got impregnated by a guy who went to juvie for selling crack not too long before that. And so it was just a messy situation at large. There was no financial stability. Both people were still living with their parents. This guy had just come out of the juvenile system in that realm and they were encouraged to get an abortion by their family members, by friends around them over and over and over again. She had the kid, and look, life was really, really hard for that child. They were on government assistance throughout their life. They were in the projects most of the time. There was near homelessness at seasons. There was a ton of abuse that was present in that child's life and in that home. Man, their house got broken into eight times growing up. Like There was gang violence that was often around that child, heroin needles on the outside of the streets. But she gave that child a chance. And I'm really glad that she did because that child was me. And now I have four daughters that I get to hold and love, and a church that I freaking love and a wife that I would lay down my life for and purpose And because I was given a chance, y'all, I went through a lot growing up. Like, don't get it twisted. It was difficult. But my mom, nor my dad, nor my family had the right to terminate my life. And praise God, they did not do what this country told them that they could legally do. I have so many more stories around this issue as a whole, predominantly from the faith side of the argument, but I hope you see the point in the midst of this. But abortion is wrong. It is the taking of another human life, and scripture is clear that it is life. God is forming the soul and the womb, and science is clear, and I believe that the faith argument that says you should get to do what you want with your body at the expense of another human life is fatally flawed, y'all. And so, what do we do in the midst of this? What what is our response through this? Well, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, just like with racial reconciliation, we need to stand up when we see a wrong. Like stand up and. Stand y'all you cannot speak about issues just because they are cool like racial reconciliation you need to be about justice period if you're a Christian and any form of injustice no matter where it falls politically or no matter where it falls socially or whether people like you for it or don't like you for it, if the scriptures call it justice then we need to stand up for it we got to speak when we see ills y'all secondly I believe that we need to be a church that's ready to adopt and to foster and to help pregnant women know how to be good mothers or help dads learn how to stay in the picture and raise up their child. We cannot say that we're against abortion, but then not be ready to do something about the influx of unwanted pregnancies. We need to do something about that. And so we need to be ready for that. In fact, I would say if you know someone who is thinking about getting an abortion, then I would encourage you to tell them to come to our church and tell them not to because I know our church family well enough. Somebody here will be willing to help raise that child and to give them a chance to see the beauty of God. And so tell them to come. Someone's gonna step up. I believe that. And so look, there's more on that next week. We're talking about orphans and foster care and adoption next week. But I do wanna dethrone one common rhetoric that's used against the church to take our issue off of the life that's in the womb and to put the issue on us as a church. And I wanna dethrone this lie that's often said that we only care about life in the womb. You know that Catholics are actually three times more likely to adopt than our non-believing uh, uh, people in America Practicing Protestant Christians are five times as likely to adopt as those who have no faith. Christians are 50% more likely to foster, and Christians are virtually the only group that adopt older children, children with special needs, hard-to-place children, and they are virtually the only group that adopts, even though they are still able to have biological children, Christians still adopt in the midst of this. And so, yes, while the church is messing up and some are only caring about life in the womb, listen not get it twisted. Some of us are really trying. In fact, some of us are carrying the whole weight of this. Let's not get it twisted in here. The church is moving through this, okay? And so attached to that, and really thirdly, we could be a church that can help in this. In fact, we've partnered with an organization here in the city called The Source, And this is an organization that actually helps women who are thinking about getting an abortion to really care for them and to help them in their pregnancies. Even if it was unplanned or they don't know what to do, there's assistance that's given or diapers that are bought or really to adopt people into uh, our family to help them have a family as they become a family themselves and to raise them up. And so I would love if this is an issue you're passionate about and you want to get involved, look, go get involved more. In fact, go under the connect page that Stephanie told you to keep a tab open on earlier and go to that and click that you want more information about this because we want to do something about it. We are not just a people that speak up, though we do that, but we also want to move with our hands as well. And so we don't just want to be like, ah, abortion, and that's it because that's confusing. We need to begin to move with our action if we care this much with our mouths. And so we want to help in whatever way that might look like. And in fact, there are going to be some community groups that are partnering with this organization as well. And so there's more on that to come. But would love for you to get involved if you're interested, okay? And finally, friends, I want to end it here for our time today because I know this is a heavy, heavy, it's a weighty topic. And I know that some of you probably saw the topic and you felt the heaviness and the burden that this topic carries. And so maybe you are a man who did not want to take responsibility for being a father, and so you encourage your girlfriend to get an abortion, and she did. And maybe you're wearing the weightiness of that. Or maybe you're a woman who's had an abortion, and you feel the weight of this, and you feel the pain that's associated with it. And maybe you've never wrestled with it, and now it just gets slammed in your face in a sense. Or maybe you have tried to wrestle with it, but every time you do, you feel this guilt or this pain. Maybe we try to forget about it, and we try to bury it as if nothing really happened, or maybe you just haven't really cared about this issue at large, or you felt ashamed talking about it because you kind of caved into the pressure of the culture rather than standing for truth, and so you've not opened your mouth for those who have an inability to open their mouth. Listen to me, friends. This is exactly why we need the gospel It's is good news Hmm. it is it is good news y'all in christ jesus there is no condemnation Romans 8, 1 yeah. says there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, if you are feeling condemned, it is Satan trying to tell you that you are unlovable and unforgivable, and that's just flat out not true. That is not true. Here's what happens when we talk about the gospel. We say Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and usually we hear that and we're like, oh yeah, 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 sin. Is this it's some distant thing, and we don't really think about the weight of it because we're not forced to think about the pain that sin actually creates but here we are staring at the face of something that is tragic and that is heavy, and I won't hide this, again, abortion is the killing of a human, it is murder, y'all. I don't wanna shrink back from that. I know that's a hard phrase, but friends, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Don't hide that reality from your soul right now. Don't allow Satan to take those seeds and throw them away. Let them plant in your hearts. Jesus was murdered on the cross so that we who commit these acts and many other acts might now find freedom and forgiveness in the gospel of Christ. If you are in Jesus, your sin has been removed. Period. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter where you are, your sin has been removed and you do not have to feel the pain and the weight of your sin any longer. In fact, you can live in the freedom that the gospel offers and you can even extend that freedom to others because Christ's blood has protected you from the penalty of our sin and Satan wants to throw that guilt back in your face. Jesus assumed that guilt for you. You don't even gotta throw it back at Satan. Christ already took it for you and you can trust him and what he did for us on the cross. Jesus forgives deep sins that we don't think are that bad or sins that we try to hide or bury. Jesus cleanses us from all things, all things. All things, y'all. My mother-in-law actually got an abortion early on in her life, my wife's mom, and now she actually stands with other women to speak against abortion because she realizes the pain that actually came with it and that she tried to hide or bury her guilt for multiple years until she finally learned how to surrender that over to Christ And so, if you're feeling the weight of this, Jesus does not want you to feel that weight. He wants you to feel freedom. This is why He died, y'all. He died that you might have life because His love for you is immense and His forgiveness for you is more than you can ever imagine. And so, if you are wrestling with past sin, give that over to God even right now, no matter where you might be on this, and even more than that, because we know that that child's life was life and that God. put souls inside of human's life, then I believe that that child that was aborted actually went to heaven. And one day, friend, if you are a believer in Jesus, then you will see your son or your daughter in heaven, and you will feel no more guilt because you and them will both be cleansed and will worship the King that forgives us forever for eternity. You will get to worship with that child and you will not feel guilty. You will feel loved and you will rejoice at the beautiful mercy of our God. God is merciful and he calls us as believers to extend this mercy. All of us need the forgiveness of the God of the universe. Nobody takes sin as seriously as God, so serious that he would pour out judgment on his own son, and yet nobody else offers as much freedom as God does either. The gospel brings justice for the wrongs that were committed and freedom to walk in the newness of life because his mercies are new every morning. We need to be about justice but some of you need to receive the mercy of God. You need to realize that his mercies are new every morning and that every morning you wake up and as Satan tries to lie to you and make you feel condemnation again, wash yourself in the mercy of God. He is merciful and he forgives and it is yours to be had if you are in Christ Jesus. He does not want you to feel this burden and maybe you've been apathetic about this and like, I don't really care. That's cool. Look, confess and repent. That is sin too. As we don't fight for justice, that is not us being kingdom citizens and repent of that and wash yourself in mercy as well. So what that you've caved to the culture before and care more about what the culture likes and what the scripture likes. God's mercy is over you as well, family. and you can speak up when you see wrong. Let us be a people that is fighting for holistic justice and extend love and mercy into the brokenness of our world. They need to taste the mercies of our God, not us standing on some pedestal and screaming some political position. They need the love of Christ to shower over their guilt, y'all. Let us be a church that sends that love and that mercy, that walks in that. Let us be a people that blesses people, even even if you disagree even if you disagree with me here you need the mercy of God and we need to extend that to one another let us be a church that loves each other in the womb out of the womb to the tomb that we will love the image of God in every single person no matter where they are let us love with reckless abandon because our God majestically loves us he loves us y'all Listen, I love you guys, and thanks for sticking with me in this, but I pray that we would be a people that take justice seriously, holistically, and that we would be a people that extends mercy to others and is able to receive the mercy of God so that we can know his love and walk in the freedom that is offered to us because of the blood of Christ. Let us be a church that believes in that. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would be serious about the vulnerable. We would be serious about those who are hurting, that we would speak up where we uh, see uh, life being taken, whatever that looks like, God. God, whether that life is of an 80-year-old or of an unborn, whether that life is black, brown, or white, whether that life is a believer or a non-believer, whatever it is, would we be a people that fights for human dignity because in every single human is your image, including the humans that are in the womb that you are forming in your image right now as we speak. God, I pray that we will be about that, Jesus. God, I really do pray mercy, mercy, mercy over these women, over these men that are struggling with this guilt and the sin of their past and the pain that comes with that and maybe they have not felt loved or accepted by a church. I want you to know that you are loved and welcomed here. And that we would love to bless you and to care for you. And God, would we be a church that blesses those, whether they have a beautiful past or a messy past or whatever it might look like? My life is one of redemption. You redeem the messiness of my life, both from pre conception all the way to today. You are a God that heals and redeems and forgives and cleanses, and we thank you for that. So Jesus, would we be about that and would we extend that to others? We love you, Christ. I pray that even now as we enter into worship, that we would worship you for your love and that whether we are feeling weighty over this or rejoicing at your freedom, that we would cast that over to you, the God who loves us with a love that we could never even speak about. Let us believe that even now. We pray this in your beautiful name, amen.